This is America. How many of you people want to pay for your neighbor's mortgage that has an extra bathroom and can't pay their bills? Raise their hand. How about we all? Uh, President Obama, are you listening? Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Laura Conaway. This is Friday, February 20th. On the show today, we're going to talk all about foreclosure. A couple of economists are going to hash out President Barack Obama's big plan for helping homeowners. And also, we're going to get to some of your questions. We're going to answer some of your questions with an expert that you have tweeted to us through Twitter. Um, we're going to get to the Planet Money Indicator in a second. I do want to say, Laurie, we used to always give the time. It's 2.23 p.m., and the stock market is free falls too strong, but is falling dramatically um, over fears that the government might nationalize one or two or more of the big banks. Um, we have that sneaking suspicion this might be one of those really hectic weekends with lots of last-minute announcements on Sunday. We don't know for sure. There's nothing we know that you don't know. Um, but uh, but but it's certainly a feels like how it did last fall, where everything is very chaotic and up in the air. If something happens, we'll blog it. We will blog it, and we will podcast it on Monday, and we will bring you the news and the analysis. So let's get to the plant money indicator, shall we? All right. It's 0.3%. That is the rise in the consumer price index last month. And consumer price, that's basically inflation. That's the rise in inflation. So what the government does is they go out every month and buy a bunch of stuff, bread and milk and, you know, put car, you know, gas in whiskey. their car and whiskey. I don't know if whiskey's in there. But um, and, and and look how much it costs compared to the, the, the previous uh, month. So when it goes up, that's inflation. But this is only 0.3%. This is a very low level. Economist Ian Shepardson, who we like to use a lot from um, high-frequency economics, sent a note saying that much of that was really just a couple factors. Gas prices went up 6%, so that's a big increase. Rent went up a bit. Yeah, Shepardson also said, actually, that gas at 6% was up less than he thought it might be. And he also says, with unemployment rising, rents are not going to keep going up. There's no way. Right. It's it's tough out there. These are not normal times. And uh, the fear of economists is not inflation right now. It is deflation. This is not a deflationary number, but it's heading... The slow. S- it's slow. And, and deflation, as we've explained on this show, is worse than inflation. So that's worrying. So um, these are not normal times. President Obama brought out his new plan to stop foreclosures. We told you on Wednesday that we're going to bring you more about it once we had a chance to analyze it. The government is laying out $275 billion to try to keep people in their homes. Yes, the administration is trying to give big enough incentives that people and banks will come back to the table and basically refinance, renegotiate mortgages. They think that if they can lower people's interest payments, their monthly payments will go down, and maybe more people can afford to keep making them. And we looked at, we were planning to talk to someone about this yesterday, and um, I noticed someone on the helpful who's coming into the NPR Bureau Today list that our excellent John Guardo, head of operations, sends us every morning. And there was the name Robert Schiller. He specializes in housing. He's one half of the famous Case-Shiller Index. We've now had both halves on this podcast. Case and Schiller. Yesterday's interview with Robert Schiller was kind of a strange one. We went around and around about 
sort of the same set of points. We'll get to that in just a second. Schiller tells us that he generally likes the Obama plan, even if it means that some irresponsible borrowers get help or irresponsible bankers. Because you, Adam, were telling him, you're saying that the country has been paying a lot of attention to the problem of banks. Now, something we say on this show from time to time is the reason the government is focusing on the banking sector is not because they happen to love bankers. It's because the banking system is special. It is central to all economic activity. And if you let the banking system collapse, um, the whole economy collapses. Housing is a crucial but one segment of our economy. So so that logic tells me that you would focus much more on the banking system than on housing. Is, is that logic wrong? Well, I think we do have to put it give attention to the banking system. You're right, because they, they represent the infrastructure of our economy. And if that collapses, we're in big trouble. And, and they've been working to prevent that collapse. But I think that equally important is that we have to deal with all of the individual problems. And I, I think that this matters, too. It's, it's different. It's not a systemic problem, although it is systemic in other ways. But it's, it's, I think of it as a problem of, of maintaining our, our, our social compact, our civil society. And I think that the most precious thing we have in this country is our willingness to help each other and our sense that we won't let anyone really suffer. Uh, and I think that test, that's being tested right now. And some people are angry because they don't feel that they're being taken care of at all and they're being thrown out of their house for no fault of their own. And so I, I'm very glad that we're getting to that. This is important. Adam, I think we should go ahead and note that most of the money in the Obama plan goes to increase the government's stake in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Would, yeah, they're, they're giving $200 billion to these huge backers of mortgages, um, which you know can, I guess, shore up the, the mortgage system and, and, and trickle down to actual homeowners. But there's only $75 billion in this plan that goes directly to the homeowners. And, and a lot of people are wondering, is that enough? Actually, you asked Robert Schiller that question. When we look at President Obama's plan, we see a sum total of something like $275 billion in expenditures. And for the number of households that would be helped, we get a number that's closer to $9 million. Is that a lot, a little, inside the scale of the economy? Well, I, I think it uh, looks small to me. Um, the total value of housing at the peak was around $20 trillion dollars. And it has lost, uh, by varying measures, I'd say over $5 trillion already. So $275 billion doesn't sound that big next to $5 trillion. Uh, it is trying to be focused, though. They're focusing it on uh, the $75 billion was on struggling homeowners. Presumably, we're going to find the struggling homeowners and help them. But it is small. And, you know, it's small ultimately in just the whole global context. Even if we f try to fix everything in this country, we still have the rest of the world, which are, are declining in their willingness to buy our goods and uh, otherwise affecting the U.S. economy. Now, Laura, you talked to Amr Sufi, one of our favorite economists, finance professors. He teaches at University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Yeah, he's recently emerged from recruiting season, he says, looking for new professors. When the Obama plan first came out, we blogged a note from Amr Sufi with the headline, I fear it won't work. 
So uh, Amr is skeptical of the plan's big idea, which is to help homeowners get lower interest rates. He says it still leaves them owing more than their houses are worth if it doesn't address the problem of the principal. Yeah. So who's going to be all that motivated to stay? Amr Sufi says politics and lobbying are keeping the president from doing what economists, economic logic would tell him to do, to go further, at least for now. I think the more important angle for why the Obama administration is pushing this is that the mortgage industry really is willing to go to a death match to prevent any government proposal that reduces principal of the mortgage. That's the cram down idea you keep hearing about. Exactly. So that's the judicial cram down, which is this notion that if you file for bankruptcy right now, the way the existing bankruptcy code works is the judge can write down the amount you owe for any of your claims except for your first mortgage on your primary residence. So in other words, the judge can write down what you owe on a beach house? Exactly, on a vacation home or an investment home or even a car, uh, any other asset, but they cannot write down the principal on your first mortgage on your primary residence. Why is the law like that? It seems counterintuitive right this second. Well, I think I I can't give you a good economic reason. I think the political economy of it is that the mortgage industry is quite powerful, and they have rightly argued, and it is a correct argument, that if you were to allow write-downs of mortgages in Chapter 13 bankruptcy, that would force mortgage lenders to increase interest rates on mortgages to everyone, right? Because in expectation, they would know, well, if this guy gets in trouble, I can get my principal written down. So that's the basic argument that they've made to Congress, and I think they've convinced Congress. And it is true. Don't get me wrong. It is clearly true that if you allow judges to write down principal, you will get higher interest rates for everyone trying to get a mortgage. I think that's that's kind of an obvious point. Um, but, you know, it's a little surprising that it's only been on primary residences, the auto industry. No one else has been able to, to get that, that exception except for the uh, primary mortgage. So, Laura, you uh, called uh, our favorite, I think we can say our favorite banking lobbyist. We talked to him a lot, Scott Talbot of the Financial Services Forum. Uh, He said he expects Congress to go ahead and pass the cram down. Yeah, Scott basically said that the political and economic climate has shifted enough that they don't really think they can stop it. But they they hate it. They hate it. They hate it. Yeah, they do hate it. So those were our big questions about Obama's plan. But we thought, hey, these Planet Money listeners are are pretty smart and they have questions. So we are introducing a new feature here. We're calling it Twitter Questions. Now, we did do this once before last week with Paul Krugman of the New York Times and Princeton and Nobel Prizes. Um, and you seem to like it. We certainly loved it. Um, so we're going to do it a lot. And we did it this week with Amr Sufi. Idris R. Aslanian, what is to prevent me from stopping payment on my house in order to cash in on this, the Obama foreclosure plan? Do responsible homeowners see a benefit? So there are a lot of strict provisions in the plan that you can't just stop paying your interest payments and default and automatically qualify. The lender, at the end of the day, all of this is still voluntary for the lenders to go on with. So the the part of the program that would potentially affect people who just stop paying their mortgage uh, is the Part B, which is kind of called the uh, the act, you know, the uh, 
the stability part of the program, but it it requires your lender to agree to reduce your interest payment down to 38% of your income. If the lender knows for sure that your income is still good, you still have your job, your house price isn't that low, the lender could simply refuse and then threaten you with foreclosure. It's not like you automatically qualify. Um, In terms of the broader theme, responsible homeowners are obviously upset that they feel like, well, I made my interest payment. I didn't move into a house that was too big. But I think one thing that is important to understand is that foreclosures have what we economists call externalities. If your next-door neighbor has a foreclosure, that will affect the value of your property, even if you are always solvent, you always paid your mortgage on time. So in that sense, there are real externalities associated with foreclosures that make it valuable for the government to intervene to try to prevent foreclosures from getting way too high. Renee Rico, she's, we've actually had her on our show. I know who she is. She's a pastor in California. Mm-hmm. She says, why no write-downs on the loans themselves? I thought the idea was for everyone to take a haircut. That is a very excellent question. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's the first thing I thought when I saw the program. Why isn't there any attempt to actually reduce principal is another way of saying that, to literally take people's mortgages, say I had a $100,000 home and I'm underwater, so my mortgage is actually worth 150000 Why isn't there any effort to try to reduce the value of my mortgage down to, say, the value of the property? Uh, it's a good question. I think really what is going on is that the banks are really against any reform that requires them to write down principal. And the reason is the way a bank works is when they give you a loan of 100000 that 100000 goes on their balance sheet as an asset. And if they have to write that down, then that leads to a reduction in the value of their assets, and that can really hurt them in the long run and subject them to runs or their equity price collapsing. So the banks have been very opposed, both through their lobbying efforts and their campaign contributions, have been working very hard to prevent any proposal that leads to a reduction in principle. So this program really uh, focuses more on a reduction in interest rates rather than a reduction in principle. It mentions that the Obama administration will continue to support this so-called cram-down. That's what banks call that. But right right now, that's just floating out there as as a sort of distant threat. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think there's a lot of ambiguity. I'm seeing different things in the press yesterday and today about whether what this exactly means. Just to be clear, at the very end of the proposal, the executive summary of the proposal, it says we will just like you said it, we will continue to support efforts uh, to, you know, give chapter 13 bankruptcy judges the right to write down principle in a bankruptcy proceeding. Uh, but it's not clear yet whether the Obama administration is actually going to send that legislation to Capitol Hill or whether they're just using it as a threat that if, you know, in the long run, we don't start seeing reduction in foreclosures, we're going to implement this uh, cram down proposal. All right. Jay Isley wants to know, aren't declining prices an understood risk for any buyer or investor? Shouldn't we let inflated prices fall? So I think it's important to understand that when people enter into a mortgage contract, they should have in their head, you know, where will my house price go? That being said, the fall in house price is a 25% nominal decrease since its peak in 2006 is historically unprecedented. So I do think uh, that there is some leeway to say, well, most borrowers didn't think that the very worst case scenario could happen. Um, That being said, I think there is 
a justification for trying to prevent house prices from falling below what we would call fundamental value. Uh, I agree with the question that house prices do need to adjust downward. They are too high for too long. We probably still need a correction down 15 or 20 percent. But the danger is when you have a massive wave of foreclosures, that that actually pushes house prices down even below fundamental value. So for example, if you live in a neighborhood, it's a good neighborhood, it has a good school, but then all of a sudden half the neighborhood defaults on their homes and are foreclosed, all the research shows that crime will go up, the school will get worse, the roads will get worse. All of those things will lead possibly to house values even collapsing further below fundamental value. So I completely agree, housing prices need to fall, the question, is there a role of government in preventing foreclosures so that house prices don't collapse below some reasonable fundamental value? All right. This is a somewhat related question from Harlan H. Underwater home values reduce people's mobility for new jobs because they can't sell their houses and move. Are there government policies that help without reinflating the bubble? I hmm, That's a tough question. I, I think... It's always very hard for the government to step in and try to assess whether housing prices are now below or above fundamentals. Um, so I think what the government basically tries to do is not to inflate housing prices, but to put a floor in a way that they're trying to eliminate what I would call as an economist an inefficiency. So as I was mentioning before, one of the inefficiencies we think is a massive wave of foreclosures. If we see a huge amounts of foreclosures, that seems to indicate that there's something wrong with the bargaining process between lenders and homeowners that they would want to actually try to reduce principal or reduce interest payments in order to keep people in their homes. And I, I fear that a massive wave of foreclosures, which is already occurring in some states like Arizona, California, uh, Florida, that can really lead to a situation in which housing prices collapse well beyond fundamentals. And I think that's the big worry and what is motivating the Obama administration at this point. From WLW145S, I would like to know what they plan to do about the 40% or higher re-default rate and its effects on the cost of the plan. If you look at that number, the 40% number that's been cited a lot, so this is a number that basically means every time the mortgage industry has renegotiated the mortgage, 40% of people have defaulted within a year or so after. And this number has been used to say, oh, renegotiation doesn't work. Why should we do it? These people are always going to default on their homes. I think that's grossly unfair. If you actually look at the renegotiations that have been taking place, they're pretty much outrageous. What happens is the bank says, okay, we'll renegotiate the mortgage down. And in the meantime, we're going to impose you know, huge fees, all the past payments, everything. So often when a borrower comes out of the renegotiation, their payment is actually higher than it was going into the renegotiation. There's been a study by a professor at, I think, Vanderbilt Law School. I'm forgetting which exact law school, but shows this very systematically. He looks at renegotiations on a case-by-case -case basis and shows that from 2007 to 2008, the renegotiations of lenders basically did not help borrowers at all. It actually made interest payments higher, uh, and that's why you see such a high uh, recidivism rate in, in defaults uh, on mortgages. From Beersy, is the foreclosure plan big enough to make a difference? If not, will it be a waste of money? I think, I think the, the general consensus emerging, and I, I t tend to agree, is probably that uh, it is not... 
I don't think the size is important as, as much as what it actually does. And my big concern is that it seems uniquely focused on lowering interest payments for households, many of whom will be underwater. And it doesn't matter how large amount you make it, if you're not really reducing principal and giving homeowners equity back, they're still going to walk away from their homes. So my big concern is that without some kind of threat, and maybe this cram down thing is a threat, this judicial cram down in Chapter 13, I worry that you're really not going to see any renegotiations, which will lead to further foreclosures. If that's the case, then it's going to be an extremely expensive plan because it won't do anything uh, and it will still cost a lot of money. If the plan reaches, this is just coming from me, if the plan reaches 9 million families, which is the upper range of what the Obama administration estimates, if it does that, is that enough to make a difference? I don't know. It's hard to say. I think if if it's the case, I mean, I think if you could if you could make the argument that nine million foreclosures were avoided because of this plan, then of course that's a huge number and a hugely positive effect of the plan. But the key question is, how many of these people that get aid wouldn't have uh, been kicked out of their properties anyway? And further, how many? are going to take the lower interest payments for a short time and then move out anyway when they realize their house prices continues to fall. That's the big concern. And so the 9 million number is kind of a number thrown out in terms of the people who will qualify, but it's not a number that we can put and say 9 million people are going to be kept in their homes that would otherwise have been kicked out of their homes. I think that's just unrealistic. So it's a big question mark. I wish I had a more definitive answer. So I think it's a big question mark about exactly how many foreclosures are going to be avoided that otherwise would have taken place in the absence of this plan. So, Adam, those are just some of the Twitter questions. Caitlin Kinney, our own beloved Caitlin Kinney, who directs and produced this podcast. Yeah, we should say thank you to Caitlin yeah. Kenny. We don't do it enough. Thank you. Not only did she make this podcast, she pulled all of the Twitter questions for the blog. You can hear them at npr.org slash money. And the answers? And the answers. Yeah, I think she got them both, right? Right, Caitlin? And you can follow us on Twitter, too. It's free. It's fun. Twitter.com slash Planet Money. If you sign up, you could ask the next question of so some major economist or someone else. We're done here for today. I'm Laura Conaway. We'll see you Monday. I'm Adam Davidson. Looking forward to a not very restful weekend, I'm guessing. <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs>